welcome to the Questionably Qualified podcast covering Game of Thrones. Uh, we're here to get set by recapping Season 6 in advance of Season 7's premiere. Uh, so I'm here with uh, with my co, co-host, Ryan Maddock. Maddock, how are you? I'm doing pretty well tonight. Um, I did work today while watching the first five episodes of Season 6 to get ready for this, so I've not a bad day. Not at all. I would say that's a, that's a pretty good day at work. So you you had a chance to rewatch the first half of the season. Uh, I went back through and reread some of my notes. It's interesting going back and seeing some episodes which we were obviously engrossed in. Uh, how much of that time was spent on things that maybe weren't too important in the end in the end run. Yeah, I mean we just talked about it before the show, but uh, not to spoil the recap, but I'm sure most people remember that uh, the Grand Sept in King's Landing gets blown up and kind of ends all of the palace intrigue there, and Danny ends all of the palace intrigue in Marine with her dragons, so it's a little, uh, all of those kind of back room <laughs> political machinations just all kind of got blown up. Yes, yes, a lot of a lot of action happening, uh, you know, in the shadows, and then they just go ahead and dash the whole thing in dragon flame. So, um, let's go ahead and get started. We're going to cover the first half of season six, and uh, we'll come back with the second half later this weekend. So yeah, let's jump right in. Uh, season six, episode one, the Red Woman, and we'll start here in Dorne because it's pretty much the last time we have to touch on Dorne until maybe the finale. Basically, what happens in Dorne is that the there's an assassination of the sitting ruler. There's an assassination of the sitting ruler. His uh, bodyguard gets stabbed in the back. His bodyguard was supposedly one of the best fighters in Westeros and got stabbed in the back by a known enemy. Um, (laughs) And then the ruler's heir gets stabbed in the back by a known enemy because he also turned his back to known enemy. And then um, the show kind of gave Dorne the death. It put put the Dorne story out of its misery at that point. Yes. So uh, if if you, like some of us readers, had hoped that Dorne Martell had a big, big scheme in mind for Dorne, um, that apparently is not the case, and uh, instead the Sand Snakes are now in power, uh, seemingly with the full support of the royal army, and that also means that they um, that Marcella Lannister is dead. So we are down to only one Lannister child at this point. Just uh, let's just note that this is the first time of the season that kinslaying that is widely known goes unpunished and is accepted by huge groups of people. Um. Yes, yes. In, in hindsight, the theme of season six, Kinslaying. Not a problem. Uh, yes. Yep. Um, so, uh, what okay. else happened in this episode? Yeah, so uh, Cersei learns of Marcella's death. Obviously not too thrilled about it, but, you know, she hasn't been happy since ever, so it's not a big deal. Um, we'll go ahead and go right to the wall. We've got a dead Jon Snow, uh, who I'm sure no one no one thought would come back later. Uh, but luckily for him, he's got Sir Davos and some of his more loyal men to protect the door from Sir Alistair Thorne. In, also in the north, Theon and Sansa happen across Brienne, luckily. Uh, Brienne rescues them from some Bolton knights, and they essentially just make camp after that. Yeah, this was not a surprise for anyone who had read the book as well, um, because Sansa wasn't supposed to be there, so she wasn't going to die. Right. Um. Yes. So Brienne now gets to pledge her, uh, you know, honor and sword to another uh, Stark, and hopefully this one goes better than the last one. Um, let's see. Let's go down to Arya, who is blind. <laughs> yes. 
um, and begins like four episode long training montage. Yeah, in, uh, this in this episode, and that's really it. And as you as you might imagine, uh, not a great fighter when she's blind. Nope, nope, nope. gets hit with a stick a lot. Yep. Um, meanwhile, in Marine, uh, Danny is of course gone on the back of Drogon, leaving Tyrion and uh, the rest of her small council in charge. Tyrion, Grey Worm, Masande. I mean, nothing too interesting is happening there right now. All we know is that they're a little worried about how to rule without Danny there to help. Yeah, and um, they had a fleet of ships that got burned. It doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> yes. So now they also need ships, which we kind of already figured they needed anyway. So let's go ahead and jump on to episode two. I mean, the big the big takeaway from episode one, I think, is that Dorne isn't important at the moment um, and that Arya, you know, is, is undergoing her transformation. Yeah, I mean, they they set up a lot of the kind of storylines that ended up not mattering that much in episode um, one. You know, we spend a lot of time with Dora, with Jorah and Dario, and like clearly, Danny's not going to be captured by the Kalasar and killed. So yeah, yeah, I will take some time for pour a little out for uh, Jorah and Dario because I did I did really enjoy their banter. It was pretty entertaining. <laughs> yeah, it's their uh, buddy cop movie. <laughs> yeah, yep, it was pretty great. So let's go ahead and move on to episode two, uh, just titled Home. And this episode opens with Bran warging back into the past. Um, and he gets a chance to see two things that we haven't seen before. One is Lyanna Stark, and the other is a very verbose Hodor. Mm-hmm. Verbose and talking a lot. Uh, not Doesn't seem to be the sharpest tool in the shed, but um, definitely can converse in full conversations and is with it. Yep, so not sure, you know, at this point we don't know what that what that means, um, but of course we'll find out even by the end of this podcast. Meanwhile, the wall, uh, John is still, well, John's dead body is still being guarded, and luckily for him, the wildlings, with some help from 1 1 the giant, uh, come to the rescue and take down Alistair and his men. They're arrested, and Melisandre gets a chance to work her magic. Um, I, I have to say that, you know, watching 1 and 2 back to back with the whole. Sansa was being beset on by Bolton soldiers, and then Bran shows up, and then they are literally breaking through the door. Like when one one the giant breaks through because Ed and Tormund arrive. It just there's a lot of uh, very convenient entrances. In yes, episodes one and two. Yes, hello, we have happened upon you. Yeah, <laughs> that is another theme of season six, I think. Yeah, in the north, which is larger than the rest of the kingdoms combined. Yep. So um, Melisandre does eventually, um, with some seemingly unnecessary cajoling, decide that she might as well attempt to resurrect the person who might represent the prince who was promised Azor Ahai. Even though she knows that it's possible, even if you're like a drunk living in a cave. <laughs> yeah, but you know, l- luckily for us, Davos is there to, to convince her that it might be worth a shot. Um, meanwhile, in Winterfell, just a just a you know few weeks ride south of the Wall, uh, Ramsay decides that he doesn't like anyone in his family being around anymore. No, so uh, the kinslaying continues, and he kills his father. Um, but why stop I, there? Why stop yeah. with your father? And then he kills his now widowed stepmother and his infant half brother. And everyone, you know, he might have been able to somehow get off the whole he killed his father thing, Every even though everyone knew what he had done. You know, there was a lot, there was like not, everyone was kind of dead. 
and there wasn't a lot of consolidated power, so people might have been ready to get in behind him. But <laughs> there's just sure. no way. There's just no way that they that people would not care that he sicked his widowed stepmother and her, who had just given birth like three days ago. <laughs> Um, or no, like that day. Yeah. Um, and his uh, infant uh, half brother to dogs. Um, yes. Once again, kin slaying, heinously punished in Westeros. Uh, very a lot of superstitions about it, and like no one cares anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I really, I really expected to um, damage him in his pursuit of gaining the allegiance of the Manderleys, the Umbers, and the Karstarks, which he, you know, had stated he would need in order to hold the North. Um, but as we'll learn, that was not entirely the case for at least two of those houses. Uh, that is true. Yep, no big. Um, so feeding your feeding your family to dogs, not too big of a deal. Uh, meanwhile, Theon tells Sansa that he's leaving for Pike. I didn't really think about it until just now, but uh, I'm not sure why he thinks it's going to go better this time around. I'm also not sure how the fuck Theon got across the north and found a ship and didn't get killed. It He just, like, teleports to Pike because he's just there at the beginning of episode three. It's not, like, that fucking easy of a journey. Um, yes. Yeah, well, Ramsay's two knights failed to bring them back, so he true. quit. <laughs> he just gave up. <laughs> he was just done. He's like, like you, right, well, you guys aren't related to me at all. I don't need to kill you. We gave it the old college try. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, so Theon is back to, is heading back to Pike. Um, outside of that, we have, uh, let's go ahead and go right to Pike from there. Um, in Pike, we get introduced to Euron Crow's Eye. Yes. Balon's exiled brother, who, uh, kin slays his brother by throwing him off a rope bridge. He'll later admit it to a king's mood with no ramifications. Yep. So. So that's, that's good. There. Yeah. Yep, just a little more kinsling to add into the pot. In King's Landing, the really only notable events, as far as I'm concerned, are the uh, reanimated, now reanimated, zombie zombie mountain. I mean, I, we know that he was ambulatory before, uh, but now we know that he is just as capable of smushing skulls, which is exciting for further confrontations, I suppose, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. He, uh, someone was talking shit on Cersei. And then he smashed his head into a wall. Yeah. So, it's almost you. Trump-like how much Cersei dislikes having her name. <laughs> it is It is almost Sullied. Trump-like. Um, and then there's some general, um, you know, people moving, players moving their pieces around the board stuff that, you know, yes. they're all going to die anyway. Yes, lots of machinations. The High Sparrow is busy wooing Tommen. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, as you said... In the end, they all die a nice green fiery death. So, um, um, in Essos, we have Tyrion taking a pretty big gamble at this point and deciding he would like to say hello to Danny's two remaining dragons. Yes, he um, and he takes the chains off them, but they, but they're not out yet. in in the In the episode, he took like their collars off, but they didn't break out of the cage it was all very strange correct they neither ate him nor decided to bail on the situation entirely yeah just like fly out of there now that they didn't have chains on yeah or uh, because they were being held in the great or one of the great i think the great pyramid of marine um we know that they can like burrow through stone yes because they do in the books and they did all through valeria so like 
Yes. That literally happened in the books where someone took a chain off them and then they just started burrowing through the, like... Correct. And it even happens at the end of the season. Yeah. So it's all very strange. Mm -hmm. But, you know, maybe they just wanted to rest for a little bit. That's all right. Mm -hmm. Did we have any Bravos in this episode? Did the training montage continue? Uh, It did not. uh, Presumably it did. Oh, no, no. Here, it's it's in your... The training montage did continue. Oh, that's good. Uh, Still blind, right? Yeah, still blind. Um, The guy's like, what's your name? And then Ari's like, you know, a girl has no name. And then he's like, what's your name? <laughs> it's <laughs> very, very important development there. And the only other item to touch on in Essos, as far as I know, is that uh, they become aware that the slavers, the formerly deposed by Danny slavers, are regaining their power and uh, essentially just setting things back the way they were. They are, me- they are making Essos great again. Yes, they are making Essos great again by bringing back slavery. <laughs> um, no parallels. Nope. I think that I think that's all for episode two. I mean, John coming back, which we did at the beginning, was the big reveal there, even though it wasn't a reveal. But that was kind of like the big exciting moment, and the rest was just like more pieces being moved into place. But like as we've discussed, all those pieces just get blown up at the end of the season. Right. Right. Um, yeah. A lot of busy work. Uh, not much of a product. Kind of like rocking in a chair for a while. I will say that as a book reader, I was deeply upset when I first read that John had been stabbed and killed. Um, but mm-hmm. after a bit of time and talking to you and some of our other friends who had read the books, came to realize that John is definitely not dead uh, and luckily has a red priest nearby who should theoretically be capable of resurrection. And I feel like the same thing happened for our friends who only watch the show, right? I mean, after an yeah. initial shock at the end of last season, they all seem pretty confident that John would be coming back. Yeah, you're like, oh yeah, he's he's the main character, and right. they have two seasons left. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. they can't kill him. <laughs> I mean, they've they've killed main characters before, but not this one. Right. Um, he has some part to play. Yes, yes, absolutely. All right, um, so let's go ahead and jump forward to episode three, Oathbreaker. In Oathbreaker, uh, we'll start with the scene at the Tower of Joy, which was a much-anticipated scene for us readers, and one that I felt lived up to expectations. Yeah, it was a, it was really a great scene. The sword fight was really cool. Um, I wish they just used like the exact dialogue from the book, but um, other than that, the scene was awesome. And Arthur Dane um, was rightfully a bat was like exactly the badass that we expect them to be yes and then um, so we see we see through brand's eyes um we see ned and a group of his men approach members of the king's guard guarding a tower all off on its own the battle commences it seems to be going pretty well for ned and his comrades and before it can end arthur dane is down to a one-on-four situation uh, quickly turns that into a one-on-one situation with just himself and Ned Stark, and has Ned down on the ground, disarmed, before Howland Reed uh, pops up from from being wounded and stabs him through the back. Yes, um, and just for you know, I assume there's no spoilers in a recap podcast, um, <laughs> so people remember that was uh, Ned's sister up in the tower giving birth to Jon Snow. Right. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to that one in the in the second half recap into some of the details on that one. The, you know, the only really notable thing about this besides don't don't step to Arthur Dane. I mean, first off, I would say let's let's not give anyone too hard of a time for for losing that confrontation. Uh, there's a reason that Arthur Dane has the reputation he does. 
and there's a reason that he can survive a four-on-one battle and <laughs> come out of it almost on top. Yeah. But the other one is Ned in that later scene, which we'll get to, is not alone at that tower. There is someone else there who knows exactly what went down. Yeah. Um, so we'll see if that ends up playing a role. But it is it is an important thing to note, at least. There's someone else who's aware of what, what Ned discovers. Mm-hmm. And we can discuss the implications of that when we get through that yep. scene. But yeah, Howland has not died yet. Or isn't going to die. Yep, popping back to the north and Winterfell, uh, we get the full reveal of the very discouraging Umber betrayal. Uh, yeah, the that was really irritating. Um, <laughs> that I thought this was like some grand scheme because in the books, uh, the Umbers and the Manderleys do some really cool kind of backdoor scheming that I think is going to result in some awesome um, move in the book. Uh, but here they hand over Rickon, behead Shaggy Dog. Just Rest in peace, Shaggy Dog. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they join the Boltons after like a weird exchange where he's like, I'm not kneeling, but I'm like, I'll fight with you. And it was a weird couple minutes. Yes. And then, I guess, uh, also in the north, John's up at the wall. Um, he's back alive. Everyone's kind of surprised. Um, and then he hangs the uh, th- the four traitors. Um, yep. Which was really irritating because he should have chopped off his head based on kind of Jon Snow's characters in the book. It's just a weird thing to get wrong. And, um, yes, we've seen him more than willing to do so. Yeah, and then he uh, he bails on the Night's Watch and says, my watch has ended, and gives Dolores Ed the Lord Commander's cloak. Right. You know, important note here, one of the ideas about why John had to die, his watch has ended, you pledge your life to the Night's Watch, and I think that dying and being brought back is one of those things that lets you off the hook. It. I think it was... Uh... I don't know if the, the original drafters of the statute had that in mind, but I do think that Jon Snow is, uh, I think he's in the clear based on just kind of the plain text reading. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the legal opinion on that one. Um, so <laughs> we'll move south a little ways towards King's Landing. Uh, Kyburn is playing with children and not in a way that would usually get you arrested, um, but would probably get the children arrested by the end of what he has them do. Mm-hmm. Um so he has now repurposed Varys's spies, uh, which is made up of a network of sort of, you know, ragtag children in, in King's Landing. Uh, Cersei is, is wildly misusing them by asking them to report on anyone speaking ill of her. Mm-hmm. That, that's not what they're for. Casting a wide net there. Yeah. Um, other than that, not much goes on. Again, like you said, a lot of machinations that ultimately end up not playing a role. Uh, there's sort of a disagreement between the small councils there, Tommen. Again, you can sort of see the split starting to, uh, to come up between Tommen and his mother. Um, but that's, that's kind of about it. Cersei wants to take action against Dorne, shocking no one. Yeah. Um, Sam's at sea. We, I guess that's another thing that happened. Yeah, I mean, we might as well include it because it seems like he has a role to play at some point. Yeah, he's at sea. It doesn't matter. He throws up. Gilly's in love with him. Um, <laughs> that's the whole scene. Perfect. Um, Arya gets her sight back. Oh, yeah. This is when the training montage kind of starts to come to an end. Yep, very exciting. She's getting better while she's blind. Uh, she is apparently getting better at lying. There's no, you know, judge for that other than, than Jacquin, who I suppose is as good a judge as anyone. 
Um, but in the meantime, she's still getting wailed on by the other girl who is... Yeah, we're still not sure exactly what she is. No, but she's very anti-Arya. We do know that. Yes, yes. We're very clear on her stance towards Arya Stark. Um, mm-hmm. In Essos, we get some more information about the slavers being back in power. If that sounds very familiar, that's because it is. It's what we learned last episode, but they decided to reinforce it this episode. Um, and we also find out that Danny is going to face a trial in Vaeus Dothrak rather than just being able to live out her days there, which obviously she wouldn't have done anyway. I wonder if she's going to be tried and murdered or if she's going to have to live out her days in Vaeus Dothrak. <laughs> Since those are the two outcomes. Yeah, only two things that could happen. So yeah, that's that whole episode. I mean, the um, the Umber betrayal in retrospect is actually a lot bigger of a deal because at the time I was like, well, that didn't happen. That's bullshit. Um, but right. I thought, it did happen. I thought that the refusal to bend the knee was a very distinct... I'm only doing this in a way that I don't have to pay a price for it later. Yeah. I thought it was that, and just they were so anti-Bolton in the books that it didn't. But that, so that ends up being a big deal, and then I guess, I mean, the Tower of Joy is a huge deal, and then John leaving the Lord Commandership, but uh, that's kind of a big deal, because I was there was the question as to how he was going to start to make moves south of the Wall, like yes. into you know into the north, but then obviously he's going to have to make his way back to the wall for the fight with the White Walkers eventually. Yes, very true. All right, so we'll jump into episode four, Book of the Stranger. Um, here we find John and Sansa uh, reunited, which is extremely exciting. It's probably my favorite part of this episode, just because it's the first time two Starks have seen each other in a very long time. Mm-hmm. It was a uh, it was a really good scene, and it kind of begins one of my. F- one of my favorite themes of the second half of season six, and I think it'll be kind of one of my favorite things going forward, is that, like, for the first time in her life, Sansa has autonomy and can actually, like, control her own... can actually make choices and kind of control her future. And, um... Minus, um... the thing where she kind of lets a bunch of people die so she can make a dramatic entrance, um, she's doing a pretty good job of it. Yep, yep, no problem there. And the reunion is later, uh, you know, turned a little more complicated when they get a letter from Ramsay... Uh, which essentially says that uh, they have Rickon and they are going to kill him unless they come and, you know, swear their power, return Sansa, et cetera, et cetera. And Sansa says, um, you know, she tells John like, we have to go to war, basically. We have to retake Winterfell. Um, the other thing that happened in this episode is that we we actually got confirmation that Stannis was dead because Brienne said I decapitated him. Yes, very true, which, uh, you know, maybe not surprising for people who are watching the show because it sure seemed like that was the direction it was heading, but we at least thought there was a chance that Stannis was still alive. I was, like, close to 100% certain Stannis was still alive. Um, Rest in peace, Stan the man. You know, you shouldn't burn your daughter at the stake like that. (laughs) I'm not sure what. I have to. I have to hope they do something different in the books. The Stannis character went off the rails there for the last like half a season that he was alive. Sometimes you just want the snow to melt, and you don't have the time to wait, so you sacrifice your child. Makes sense. Very clear. <laughs> um, speaking of Ramsay Bolton, uh, with that letter, uh, Osha meets her meets her end. Uh, she goes out in at least an attempt at glory. She she goes ahead and tries to seduce uh, Ramsay into a vulnerable position 
which predictably fails, and uh, she is now dead. Yeah, she was stabbed in the neck. Yep, unfortunate. But she did a good she did a good job protecting the kids as long as she did. So props to her. Littlefinger is now in charge of the Vale forces. He is demonstrating full control over the admittedly very easy to control Robin Aaron. Um, and he pretty much, there's a little more demonstration of his finesse in playing the game in the way that he outmaneuvers Lord Royce to, um, you know, not, not remove Lord Royce from the picture, but make it very clear who really holds the cards in this situation. Uh, that's true. Um, not a hard personnel maneuver, though, admittedly. True. Yeah, not at all. Um, down in King's Landing, Marjorie seems to be on the come up. You know, she uh, she demonstrates the ability to lie to a priest, which, yeah, okay, that's good. That's good. Um, then goes ahead and tells her brother, you know, they're going to get out of here and, and rise back up. Um, but unfortunately, then the High Spirit takes her and tells Tommen that they're going to force her to take the Walk of Atonement that Cersei took last season. Yeah, the High Sparrow is um, making some serious plays here to try to destroy the power that the crown has. Yeah, dude's feeling um, himself, I think. Mm-hmm. And understandably so. He's been doing quite well so far. We'll see how that works out for him. Yeah. Um, in Essos, Tyrion negotiates a peace with the slavers, much to the dismay of his fellow small counselors, given that one was, I think, oh, sorry, both were former slaves. Um, but he, as he explains, it's just a measure to buy time. They're waiting for Danny to get back. They'll have the dragons. They'll be able to do much more and, you know, right these wrongs at that point. But in the meantime, they can't afford a war. Yeah, and Grey Worm and Miss Sandy are not happy with him, you know, because they were slaves and they're kind of like, you don't understand the evil about this. This is kind of in the category of general machinations that end up not really moving the needle at all. Yep. Uh, so with that in mind, we'll go ahead and go a little farther east in Essos to Veostothrak, where Danny goes ahead and makes her move. Uh, yeah, this is probably the second coolest se- uh, scene of the season, solely because the Battle of the Bastards happened. Agreed. Um, but uh, yeah, Danny just burns the entire uh, leadership of the Dothraki to the ground and walks out of a burning building. Yes, um, it's the the rare, uh, you guys are a bunch of dicks, and I will go ahead and burn you alive defense. Yeah, it, uh, it worked well, and then she just walked out of the building and just, like, stared at all of the Dothraki, and she's, like, she's naked and just staring at the Dothraki, and they all just, like, bow to her, because, she, like, I, I would do that. I'd be yep. like, all right, well, you're clearly a god. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you got me on your side now. Uh, so now Danny has an army of Dothraki. So, well done, Danny. You played the game well. Um, episode five. Let's go ahead and jump forward to the door. Uh, there is a lot to unpack in this episode, so we'll try to get through to some of the bigger ones quickly. Um, the episode begins um, with a vision of, and I lost. Oh yeah, okay. The episode begins with a vision of the children of the forest, and the children of the forest are creating what we now know to be White Walkers. Um, this was groundbreaking for book readers. I imagine it was for show watchers. Uh, there was, there was no real understanding of where the White Walkers came from previously. Yeah. And they came from humans. They, she put like some, it was one of the children of the forest that's with, um, Blood Raven in the cave. And she just puts like some crazy ice spike into a human's chest and then he turns into a White Walker. So 
Um, yes. That's interesting. You would also think that since the Children of the Forest made them um, and they can create the only object that can be used to kill them, they would know what to do when they show up. And I just want people to bear that in mind for something we're going to talk about later. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and I, I think we've covered this bit of history before, uh, but the Children of the Forest at the time were engaged with a in a war against humanity. Essentially, there were two races of humans who had come across and one had made peace. The next had no interest in making peace and they were being overrun and run out of their country. Um, they continued to retreat and this was sort of a last ditch attempt to create a weapon that they could use to reclaim their land. Mm-hmm. That's true. Didn't go well. No. Poor decision. Yes. Um, in the north, Sansa gets to uh, meet Littlefinger again. Uh, first time since leaving the Vale. Um, well, I guess they had, they had ridden north a bit of a ways, but first time since he handed her over to Ramsay Bolton. And needless to say, she's not really thrilled to see him. No, it's actually a super badass scene um, where she just rips into Littlefinger for, you know, she calls him out and she's like, you knew what Ramsay Bolton was and you gave him to me anyway for your own scheming. Um, and, you know, he tries to say that he didn't, but she just fucking calls him on it. Also worth mentioning that Littlefinger made it from the Vale to the Wall in a day without being noticed and with an army or not with an army. I'm not really sure on that part. Right. Um, yes, he I, has an army somewhere. He traverses territory between Winterfell and the Umbers, who are now loyal to Winterfell, and no one seems to mind. Yeah, he's got a bunch of cavalry guys, or he's by himself. Same question. <laughs> um, the only other tidbit of information we get here is that Sansa learns that there are Tullys in River Run again. So River Run is back under uh, presumably friendly control. And Tormund gives Bran the greatest look in the history of Tully. Yes, yes. The, the, the blazing beacon of light in the darkness of Tormund's love for Bran. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that subplot better fucking continue. So great. So we'll move a little bit further south now, and we'll go to a very important method of politics in Westeros. The King's Moot. It is. It's elaborate. Um, in the books, it seemed a little silly, and the show managed to condense it in a way that just made it absurd. Yes. Um, they they run an election by giving speeches, um, and people elect their leader by yelling and fist-pumping. Do I have this right? Uh, this definitely seems to be the case. You know, it's it's sort of a, like an applause meter version of an election. Also, uh, reminding that Euron does just tell all these people, like, oh, yeah, by the way, I did kill your king and my brother. And they're all like, oh, well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of that going around lately. <laughs> I mean, if I, I guess if there is any group of people that would be more okay with kinslaying, it would be the Ironborn because of how, like, harsh they are. Sure. But not kin and king slaying. <laughs> not you won the election. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's two thousand six. It's two thousand seventeen. Anyone can be fucking president. Yep. So <laughs> so Euron ends up winning the king's mood, which is a devastating blow for Asha and Theon, except for the fact that they escape with all of the ships and people. Wow. Um, they were presumptively unguarded, but they had enough sailors to man all the ships. And this was all taking place while the people that were supportive of Euron were drowning him <laughs> so that he could spit up salt water. 
Right. So despite not having the numbers to win a, an election by applause, they had the numbers to sail off with the entire fleet of the Iron Islands. Makes a bunch of sense. Yep. And then Euron uh, tells the, like, 50 people around him, like, go build me a thousand ships. Um, <laughs> which just would take, like, you know, just take decades of time. That's um, probably, like, a big rush of adrenaline when you come back to life from being drowned. Yeah, um, <laughs> but, like, Euron's definitely going to be a major player in the next season. I'll yes. just say, as I was watching this, um, and when Euron is a player, we can discuss more why in the books on kind of our episode-by-episode recap. They had to get two fleets in play, and they had to get Euron on the board with the fleet, and they had to get through the King's Moot, and they just kind of ripped the Band-Aid off all at once. Um, right, yeah. I imagine if you talked to the showrunners and you got a couple drinks from them, they'd be like, yeah, I mean, what were we going to do? Yeah, <laughs> and they also they also cast him as, you know, sort of roguish and handsome, so you know he's going to stick around for at least a little bit. Yeah, he's got cool facial hair. Yep, exactly. Um, in Essos, Arya gets a mission, uh, she is supposed to kill the leader of a performing troupe. Uh, the effect of, of the performance is, I think, a little bit notable, actually. Yeah, it's um, about how, you know, the play is about how uh, Robert died and then ultimately the events leading to Ned's execution. And it kind of is obviously very jarring for Arya, who we know, who's going through training presumptively to become no person, but we already know she's retaining large she's retaining portions of herself but this i imagine is like another big was another big kind of jarring moment for her yep yeah a a clear clear remember uh a clear memory of her past that is now um helping her retain her identity yeah and then because when she goes back to the house of black and white and meets with jake in a car she asks you know the assignment she says like what did this actress lady do she seems like a nice person and he is like why are you asking me these questions, basically? So yep. she's, yeah, it, it's obviously shaking her. Yep. Um, also in Essos, Tyrion asks for help from a red priestess. Nothing really important about that, because as far as I know, we don't see her do much after this besides talk to some commoners. And, of course, we know how that storyline ends, mostly with Danny coming back with dragons. Yeah, um, she does do a really creepy thing, though, where she talks about how Varys got um, castrated um, because she's he's basically like giving her a bunch of guff about her being a fanatic and then she like describes the scene and obviously she wasn't there. Right. So she's yes. like using some kind of crazy blood magic or something. Yep. It seems like she does have some sort of ability. Um, mm-hmm. Jorah is revealed to have grayscale and Danny dismisses him with the to me very insensitive walk around until you find the cure. It was a really meaningful moment in the show where it's like them reconciling, but <laughs> I think we, we've talked about this. It's basically she's like, Jora, find the cure for AIDS and come back for, to me. <laughs> um, it's fucking incurable disease that a bunch of maesters have tried to have like tried to cure. But I'm okay. so happy to see you. Please don't come anywhere near me for a long time until you're better. Uh, it was wonderful. Yep. Um, so let's go ahead and wrap this up with the very important events uh, north of the wall. Um, so after we see the origin of the White Walkers, Bran decides to work again. He encounters the Night's King and an army of White Walkers while warging and learns that they are just outside the cave where he has been training with Bloodraven. Yes, well, yes, he, he encounters them, and then the Night's King grabs his arm. 
Yes, yes, a very important development, um, and it seems to be that that is something that breaks some sort of magic that is around the tree underneath which they are they are practicing. Um, yeah, because he grabs the arm. Um, were they outside the cave when Bran warged and saw them? Yes, that's correct. Okay, yeah, and then Bloodraven um, starts to just impart all of his knowledge into Bran. Yeah, Matrix-style download going on. And then we cut to see the children of the forest just staring at these White Walkers outside their cave, just having, like, a literal stare-down. Even though, as we discussed, the children of the forest invented the White Walkers, can make obsidian, which is one of, like, two known substances to defeat the White Walkers, and have a bunch of obsidian arrows and spears. And they stare at them and then start throwing firebombs even though the White Walkers are immune to firebombs. Right. And uh, so as a result, we we do see the undead members of the army unable to pass a certain line that the Children of the Forest have created, but the the sort of leaders of it, the Night's King and his comrades, are, are able to cross without any trouble. The un- The undead do get in, though. They do. They do. They climb over the top, and they, they scrabble their way in. And so... Yeah. This necessitates, obviously, an evacuation. And on the way out, uh, we lose yet another dire wolf. Uh, rest in peace, Summer. For absolutely no reason. He just jumps into a group of people and buys them maybe two seconds. Yep. Um, and on their way out, Bran is warging into Hodor. But he had he was in the middle of being warged into a past scene where Hodor was around, into a scene in like the Stark um, family... Like in in Winterfell with like you know uh, his brother or uh, Ned and Le- and Lyanna, and so he kind of wargs into Hodor while he's in um, that past scene, and then when they get out of the door and close it, they leave Hodor behind. Yes, it's a bit of a, a war exception. Yep, and then uh, they start yelling, "Hold the door!" at him, and if you're listening to this recap, I imagine you know. <laughs> How the episode ended, and right. uh, you shed a few tears last time you watched it. I'll say my wife was uh, in the other room while I was watching this, and she was really pissed off at me because the volume was so loud that she could hear it. Yep, and uh, she was just like, "Why the hell did you make me suffer through that again?" Yeah, um, yeah, it was an upsetting scene. If, if my mind hadn't been racing at you know a thousand miles a minute trying to figure out what sort of implications this could have, um, then it's it's even more sad. Um, but the, you know, the hold the door, which is, which Hodor is repeating as he is repeating his instruction, um, gradually gets shortened to Hodor and you sort of get the origin of, you know, what transformed him from episode one when he was able to speak perfectly normally to the way that we've always known him. Yep. So Hodor, and it looked like the age of like 12 or 13, kind of had that seizure and then was saying Hodor for the rest of his life. Um, which I will say, we we did learn in that, that the Game of Thrones time travel is lost time travel. Whatever happened, happened. Right. You cannot go back and erase it. You cannot go back and change it. Like, if you go back in time and do something, like, that already happened. <laughs> so, uh, that's interesting. Yes. Yes, it definitely is. Um, the only good news, of course, is that he does hold the door long enough for Bran and Mira to get further away. Um, and we'll pick up with 
you know, the rest of their journey when we get to the second half of the season. Uh, well, thank you very much, Matt, for helping me out. And uh, we'll get studied up for the second half recap, which will hopefully be dropping here in a few days. Okay. Thanks a lot, John. All right, man. Have a good night. Mm-hmm.